0: So if you have 2 Corinthians before you in chapter 4, I want us to look through from verse 16 to the end. Let me read the verses again. For which cause we faint not, or we, lose not, we don't lose heart? For though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our right affliction, which is but for a moment... Works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory when we look uh, not to the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You remember, we started what well you might remember if you've got a good memory months and months ago. We started chapter 4 by looking at the first verse, therefore, saying we have this ministry. As we've received mercy, we faint not, or could be translated, we do not lose heart. So Paul's writing to these Corinthian believers, the little church at Corinth, and all the problems and difficulties they've had, as outlined in 1 Corinthians, and he said, you know, we are writing to you because we don't want you to lose heart. We don't want you to faint. We don't want you to give up. And he uh, was, a, was a gracious a uh, pastor, And he loved these people with all their funny ways and all the rest of it. Uh, He loved them and was concerned for them. And he knew that in this present world, so much was happening that would cause these believers, these true believers in the Lord Jesus, to be cast down, to lose heart, to give up. And he says, don't give up, don't lose heart, carry on, don't faint. And we saw the context of that is is referring to chapter 3. Now, we're not going to go back over that, right? But certainly, uh, because of the things in chapter 3 and this great ministry we have in the gospel, all right, we shouldn't lose heart. We should carry on. We shouldn't faint not. So, that was there in verse 1. Now, he's gone through the chapter, and he's just about to come to the end of the chapter. Now, I'm saying chapters. When he wrote, of course, it wasn't chapters, but you know what I mean, all right? When he comes to the end of this little section in verse 16, all right, he says, For which cause we faint not? And then he's going to give the cause. In other words, I come back to the thing I said in verse 1, Don't lose heart. Now You might say, well, Paul, you've said already, don't lose heart. And you've told us a bit about it and so on. And now you're 16, you're repeating yourself. Why are you doing that? And Paul would say, well, very simply, because I know what you're like. I know you'll lose heart again. I know you'll faint again. And you need to be continually told, don't lose heart. Don't faint don't give up. Oh, I don't know if you're like me. Well, thankfully you're not, are you? But uh, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I come to a service and I'm greatly helped and I'm blessed. And Monday, whoa, look out, I could conquer the world, you know, and it's great. And I have the kind of high uh, from Monday. And then, strange enough, from a high on Monday, it seems to it down till about Friday and perhaps Saturday. And uh, perhaps Sunday, whoop, up we go again. Now, you might not be like that. You might be consistent on a high Monday, Tuesday, wonderful, praise the Lord, right? Pray for your poor brother here, all right? But that's what we're like, aren't we? We're up and we're blessed and all way to go. And then something happens and crash, we come down again. And because he's a wise pastor, he says, now listen, I want you to come and sit down and be quiet. Thank you. So he says, I want you to, be cons- to know this enjoyment of a life day by day, week by week, month on month. I do want you to keep going down and up and down and up. There should be more, uh, uh, more constancy, a consistency about you. Don't faint. Don't give up. And then in the next few verses, he gives us reasons why we shouldn't lose heart. And in a sense, he's repeating himself, but in a sense there may be one or two new things. And what I'm going to do—I trust it will be, be helpful to you—is to look at each verse by looking at the opposites. I think there are four opposites mentioned in these verses. We're not going to not going into great depth in them, but I will mention the four verses, and I'm going to quote some some illustrations, some examples from uh, from the, the Bible, which I trust will help us as we think about these things. And as we seek to apply them. So, what am I talking about? Well, if you look with me, all right, verse 16, he talks about the outward and the inward, right? Opposite, outward and the inward. In verse 17, he talks about the light and the weight, so lightweight and heavyweight, right? two extremes. Then in verse 18, he talks about the things that are seen and not seen. Opposites. And then finally, uh, and towards the end of 18, he talks about that which is temporal and that which is eternal. You've got four things, four pairs. Outward, inward, lightweight, heavyweight, seen, unseen, temporal, eternal. Okay? Okay. So that's just simply what we're going to do. Uh, let's see how we get on with the first. So he talks about the outward, and he uses this phrase, all right, for which cause we fate not, though our outward man perish. Uh, it was helpful this morning to have Tim talk about the flesh, all right? He's talking about this, this body of ours, all right? And he said the flesh is used in different ways, Okay, in the scripture, sometimes it's talked about in an evil sense or a sinful sense, the lust of the flesh. Sometimes it's just talked about the human body. The Lord Jesus was born uh, in the flesh. He came in the flesh. I in the flesh. He had a human body, such as you and such as me. And so this outward is an expression of our human body, flesh and blood, human beings created in the likeness and image of God. We are physical beings. We have a mind. Apart from our body, we have a mind, a will. And we have hopes, fears, understanding. All right? We are people with bodies. We are in the flesh, the outward. Now, Please don't be offended because I want to say something to you. I'm going to look at you and we're going to say this to you. You're looking old. <laughs> now, don't be offended. I say it every morning to the mirror. I say, who's that old bloke looking at me? I remember him when he was 17. Oh, he wouldn't believe it. He was so good looking. Wavy hair. I said, I was quiet. I was combing all this old wavy hair, and there was nothing left to comb. The waves have gone. The tide's gone out. There's nothing there. Alas, where's it gone? 70 years has since finished all over me. I'm getting old. You are getting old. You're older this week than you were last week. And some of you look like it. Forgive me. Now, we are getting old. This old frame is decaying, bit. By bit. I love playing rugby. I'd run around all day. I played two matches on a Saturday. Sometimes these days can hardly get out of bed. They don't play rugby. We're getting old. This old body is perishing. But don't be disheartened, all right? Don't be disheartened. We are getting old. This old body is decaying. And there's a sense in which we can't do anything about that. We can take potions and pills and watch our diet and all that. But ultimately, next year you'll be a year older. You can't reverse it. You cannot reverse it. You can try and slow it down, but you cannot reverse it. You will slowly decay. But what does the second one say? All right? For though our inward man perish, uh, our outward man perish, this old body, day by day, week by week, the inward, the inward man, is renewed day by day. The inward, uh, or if you like, the spiritual part of us—that which is spiritual, that which is of the Holy Spirit—that is renewed day by day. That increases; That doesn't diminish. The Christian should increase in grace. There should be an increase of Christ-likeness. We have the mind of Christ, says the apostle. We have the Holy Spirit, and we become new creations in Christ. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to seek to live to the glory of God, to seek to be more like the Lord Jesus. And that should increase. I've seen many uh, uh, in my pastoral capacity, uh, many uh, older folk, even older than some of you, all right? And uh, I've been to folk, and I think, well, I'm the pastor, so I must go and see them, and uh, I'll be a blessing to them. They're going to have me come and visit them. And I've come away, and I've been the one that's been blessed. I've been the one that says, thank God for that little old lady. Thank God, because there's something of the Saviour that shone out of her little face. She was a blessing to me. Praise God for that. Now, that didn't come overnight. That grew, as it were, through her Christian life, through her walking with the Lord. That's not uh, an overnight thing. That's years in the growing, in the growing, if you like. One of the great privileges, I mentioned this previously to some of you, one of the great privileges I had was a young Christian. I was 18, back in, in the 60s. And in the 60s in Wales, there were still some people who were alive, who had been converted back in 1904. You think of that, 1904, they'd be at least 60 plus, some of them were 70 plus, some of them were 80. But they could remember the days of the revival in Wales. There weren't many, but there were some. And it was my privilege to to meet them. And there was a glow about them. There was something different about them. And when they prayed, they'd come to the prayer meeting. Ladies as well, praying. They'd come to the prayer meeting, and they'd pray. And, And softly, they weren't shouting like some of us do. They weren't shouting and bawling, but they were just praying to the Lord. And you felt as if he was there sitting next to them. And they were praying, uh, and they just poured out their hearts to this God and to this Saviour. And they were thanking him for, for saving them and keeping them. And here they are. They've been Christians for 70 years or more. The inward man has been renewed day by day. That should be our experience. This old man is perishing. The old knees are giving in. But it shouldn't stop me from praying and seeking God and seeking to live more to his glory and to his praise. The outward. How is your inward man? How is your spiritual life? How is your spiritual spirituality? Is it growing? Is it it increasing? Remember this lovely phrase uh, from John the Baptist. The saying of the Lord Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. Oh, that's wonderful. He, uh, they were coming to say, John, people are leaving you, they're not following you so much, no, and they're following this new man, this new, this new one on the block, this, this Jesus of Nazareth. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't know, he's, he's not like me, and I don't know, I want you to stay closer to me. No, none of that nonsense. The best man's job is to marry the bride to the bridegroom, the bridegroom to the bride. That's his job, and once he's got that, his job is finished. I was privileged to be best man to my best man, and another best man uh, back in Wales. He died back last year, just before Bev died, and uh, what a privilege. Uh, to be part of that Uh, David and and Beryl now she's died as well they're both in glory together and Bev uh, waiting for me I guess Mm -hmm. Uh, what a privilege But that was my business once to interfere and say oh I wouldn't go with that bloke he's my best mate but I wouldn't go with him because he's he's a bit funny Uh, and look look at the mates he's got I wouldn't bother with him no no you should marry him best lad in the world he is, in a sense, the best man. Not me. And this is what John says. When the bride comes, the bridegroom, and the bridegroom comes, that's my business. You bring them together, and then I can fade into the background. It's not about me. Dear ones, it's not about you. It's about the Saviour. Well, let's, let's move on to the second one. So, we've got the first one, right? Inward, outward. Then the second one. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Now, he describes affliction as light, lightweight. Now, let's be honest, right? I know you, you know me. There's no point in my pretending. I wouldn't want to anyway. That affliction is light. There are some folk, uh, dear Christian folk, and they say, oh, well, you're know, you've going through this tough time. But, uh, you know, trust in the Lord, everything will be fine. And and they almost minimize it, minimize it. Uh, They almost trivialize it, trivialize it. And that's not what Paul is about here. He's not saying affliction is light weight per se. Uh, Some affliction is very hard. Some affliction is very heavy. It's a burden. That's, in the real world, that's what it is. And I don't think Paul is minimizing that. He's using the word light to make a comparison, as we shall see in a moment. Afflictions are difficult to deal with. They're difficult to deal with when you're a Christian who's seeking to walk with God. You're seeking to live a godly life and suddenly, bang, something happens and turns your world upside down and inside out. And you say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? What are you doing to my family? What are you doing to my friends? How can you do this? Now, some of us have been there. Some of us are still there. And we would never, ever describe affliction, as light. But what we have to do is realize it's a comparison. I don't know if people say the same thing, but they used to uh, when I was a lad. If somebody was ill, they'd often say, well, I've got this illness, whatever, but there are people worse off than me. And, And perhaps they still say it, and and, of course, it's true, all right? Uh, almost whatever you've got, somebody's got it worse. I was impressed by a little news article this last week or so. There's an amputee, that's the right word, isn't it? Um, he's not just got one leg, not, just not, not got one leg, he's not got two legs. He's a double amputee. And he's managed to climb Everest. Wow! I couldn't climb Everest, if I had four legs. It's amazing. There's this little chap. And he's got he's got all the equipment and stuff, and I'm sure he was helped, but he's got to the top. What a man! And there are others that do amazing things. They swim across the channel, you know. And you're like, how did they do this? So Light affliction is comparable, or comparative. Depends on what else is going on. And Paul is saying, listen, I don't want to minimize that, but I want to make a comparison, because that affliction through which you're going is, in comparison, lightweight, because that which is beyond is heavyweight. Alright? So you've got for your light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. This is heavyweight. Weight of glory. Now it's a great word. He could have said eternal weight of grace or love or mercy, lots of good words, but he chooses to use the word glory. Now, it's an interesting word. Uh, The Greek, you may know this, is dox, doxa, from where we get doxology, right? Um, You know that word, praise and thanks and giving glory to God. But what is perhaps more interesting regarding the word is the Hebrew for glory is heavy. It was a funny word. Well, you think about it a bit. Heavy. And actually, although you don't know it, you know it. You know the Hebrew word. You say, well, I don't know it. Well, the Hebrew word for glory, in lots of instances, is kabod. You say, I don't know that name. I think you do. Because you know the story, as well as I do, of Samuel... We may come back to that, God willing, next week. Samuel. And what happens when the ark is captured by the Philistines? And you remember that uh, Eli's daughter-in-law, I think it's Phenis' uh, wife. She's pregnant and, and the baby. And uh, she cries, she can, can call this baby, Ichabod. Remember that? You remember. Ichabod. And she says, because the glory of the Lord has departed. Right? Ica, obviously gone, departed, Kabod, Icha, his glory. So it literally means heavy. And we're not unused to this in English, are we? We talk about people, not, doc- not boxers, but people, uh, he's a heavyweight in the sense of um, he, he or she uh, is, has got a great master of, of their particular subject. I had, a, I had a friend in Wales, uh, uh, his name was Graham Harrison, uh, gone to be with the Lord now, he's a minister in Newport, and I always felt if you were having a theological discussion, you'd want him on your side. He was what I called a, a heavyweight, all right? Another one is Philipson, some of you know Felifsson. Um, I'd want him to be on my side. He's a heavyweight. We talk about people being heavyweights, all right. Um, we talk about subjects being, oh, it's a heavy subject. It's a weighty subject. Now, when you've got that in your mind, at the back of your mind, right, you understand lots of things. For example, when um, Paul speaks about sin in Romans, we all know the verse, um, for all have sinned and come short of the... Glory of God. That was a strange word. You'd think it might say, all of sin and come short of the standard of God. All of sin and come short of the perfection of God, of the Lord of God. And all kinds of words you might fit in there which you think would be more appropriate. But Paul says, we've all sinned and come short of the, the glory of God. In other words, we've dealt lightly with God. We haven't given him due weight. We haven't even given him due emphasis. We haven't given him due care. We haven't given him that which he deserves to harm from us as his creatures. He's the creator and we've ignored him. Or we haven't done as we should have done. And we've come short. We've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Now, Thankfully for most of us, I can use illustrations about weighing skills. Young people like... Martin and uh, Graham, he wouldn't know about these things. But back in the day, and of course Rebecca, back in the day, we used to go to a sweet shop and we'd say, Mrs. Javis, can I have two ounces of uh, gobsmackers, uh, gobsmackers, gobs- stoppers." And she'd have this scale and she'd put a couple of gobs- gobstoppers-, gobstoppers in the one pan and she'd put a little Two ounce thing on the other, and if it weighed, you know, a bit like this, then that was right. And then I'd pay my five, my threepence or six or whatever it was. Now, Mrs. Jarvis knew me and liked me because I had lovely blue eyes, and so it didn't matter if it tipped in my favor. You know, she said, was okay. She so give me an extra one. Now, we've been weighed in the balances, and we have found wanting. We are lightweights in sight of God our best efforts, our best works, our best this and that, we don't weigh enough to satisfy the righteous judgment and law of God. That's why we need a Savior. Because we can never, we can never pile on our, our pennies, our weights uh, on one, one side to balance. We can never do it. But he, the Son of God, takes the other side of the scale and down it goes. Such is his perfection. Such is his purity. Such is his absolute law keeping. He and he alone is the perfect substitute for our sin. And he pays the debt. Hallelujah. So, this eternal weight of glory is a comparison. Our affliction is light in comparison with this far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Our affliction is but for a moment. How long is a moment? That's a moment. You time that? Get your posh posh watches out. A moment. Well, to be honest, this moment of affliction can last a day or a week or a month or a year. You don't want to know this, but I've got a funny leg, my left one, and it's beginning to ache. And I'll need to sit down in about 10 minutes, so you're all right. Um, And then it'll be gone. But I need to sit down. Sadly, some summer affliction lasts months and lasts years. But comparatively, it's a moment. Can you see that? Comparatively, like affliction, for a moment, because that which, with which it's compared, far more exceeding eternal, eternal weight of glory. This weight of glory will be forever and ever and ever. It will never stop. It will never end. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's move on. We've just two more, and then we'll stop. So verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. We look not at the things which are seen, but look at the things which are not seen. Have you got that? Stay with me, Jack. Now, this is seeing with the eyes, all right? Obviously, we see with the eyes. We see all around. We see our circumstances and our state. Uh, We've got these senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, uh, and and we are affected by what we see. It's amazing the capacity of of, of the human uh, Soul, psyche, whatever word you want to use. You can see something, and immediately it affects you. Now, uh, whether you've got children or not, uh, most of us would be affected if we saw something on the television with a child that was injured or hurt or, or dying. Um, and we, all we're doing, we're seeing. We see this picture, and it brings us tears. Now, that's a normal, natural human reaction. That's what we do because we're human. If we didn't feel anything, then I think there'd be something wrong with us. So what we see affects us, how we react, what we think about it. What happens next? i there are three very simple illustrations which you know very well. Um, the first is the Children of Israel. Now you know the scene, they come out of Egypt, they've come through, and now they're facing the Red Sea. What they can see is the sea. You got that? Good. So they can see the sea, and it's there. They can't cross that. And then they can see the armies, or, or you can hear them in the distance, or the clouds of dust, they can hear Pharaoh and his armies, the chariots, and the horses. So they... They're coming this way, there, that's there. if you can go that way, it's an impossible situation. there's no way out, not that they can see. Come with me to, to um, Elisha. Elisha is in uh, the city of Dothan and the Syrian armies around. and Elisha's got a, Elisha' got Elisha's got a young servant. And he says, Master, Master, they're surrounding us. Now, that's what he could see. He could see the sea of armies round about. He could see them. And they were there because they were real. And he said, Master, we're surrounded. What can we do? Because that's all he could see. And then one final one, and I'll stop seeing the sea in a minute. Peter. He gets out of the boat, and he walks on the sea, and he can see the sea, and he sees the Saviour, and he says, "Bid me out, so he goes out, and he walks in the sea, and then he sees, more than the sea, he sees the boisterous waves, and wind, and he sees the sea, and he begins to sink. Now, he could see the sea previously, he could see the wind previously, but suddenly, he's seen these things, and he's not seeing the Savior because his eyes are too busy looking at the sea, seeing the sea, seeing the waves, and the boisterous winds, and he begins to sink. Now what is the answer to those three little things? Well, very simply, in the crossing of the Red Sea, God speaks to Moses, and he opens up the sea. Forgive me for this. I can't stop. And they see the sea going parted. Oh, that's very wonderful. What do you mean there? They see the sea parting. And they go through. But they see more than the sea parting. Because you see, Pharaoh and his gang, they can see the sea parting. Well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. So they cross. But then the Israelites see the sea coming back destroying Pharaoh and his armies and his horses and his chariots. Hallelujah. Elisha! What did Elisha do? Calm down, calm down. What's the matter with him? It's alright. We'll be okay. But master, master, they're all around us. We're surrounded. I can see them. I can see them. They're there. Elijah says, Lord, It's almost as if, Lord, excuse me, can you do me a little favor? Now, forgive me if that sounds irreverent. It's not meant to be. Lord, could you just do something? Could you just open this young man's eyes? He needs to see. And the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw what he couldn't see before. It was there before. But what he couldn't see before was he couldn't see the horses and chariots and the fire round about Elisha. No problem. No problem. Peter, he's going down for the third time. I don't know how many times he went down. And uh, the Lord just draws near. Save me, save me. Now, we're not told how far close Peter was to the Savior. My own thinking, I can't prove this, is that the Savior moved towards Peter. All right? He's coming, and Peter gets off the boat, sees this, and down he goes. And the Lord moves towards him. And as he's going down, now, to be honest, me, I'd let him go down a couple of times to teach him a lesson, but the Lord doesn't do that. There he comes. And he sees the Lord close to him. And they're okay. So, Paul says, We look at we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We see the hand of God unseen. We see God in his sovereign purposes. We see a God who's actually in, uh, in control. We see the circumstances. We see beyond the circumstances. And the trouble with us, the trouble with me, dear ones, is that we so it fills our gaze, it fills our vision, the circumstances. I mean, that's where we can see, we don't realize, we should be seeing, we should be looking to the God who's behind all circumstances. See. He is sovereign. He keeps saying this, but it's true. In his great providence, God is behind and overall and in control, and that's what we need to see. And then finally, finally. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. The difference between the temporal and the eternal. I thought about this word temporal. Do they still have temps? I don't know. Do they still have temps? Is it, uh, I suppose they call short term contract, be a posh word these days, isn't it? Short, um, I was a temp. I joined the Civil Service in 1960, whatever. I was a temp. And they kept me on for 23 years, which is very kind of them. Um, I wasn't a temp all that time, mind. Right? Bev went to work in a place in London, and she was a temp. And lots of people used to be temps. They have temporary work, you know. And it could be for a week, could be a month, could be for a year. But it was a temp. And the word means a season. Right? It could be very short, it could be a bit longer. But it wasn't permanent. Um, Tim, this morning, he took us through Acts 8 and we finished at verse 17. And verse 18, which is next door, of course, and right, says this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, it's the same word, this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now again, he's not saying that the sufferings are nothing and can be just swept aside. The sufferings are real but they're for a season. They're temporary. They won't last forever. Even if it comes to death, that'll be the end of them. We say, don't we, uh, that it was a blessing the Lord took him or her because she suffered so much. You wouldn't want that to continue. And God has ended that. It may cause us to grieve and to suffer after, but not that, dear person. The end, is, the suffering has come to an end. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more tears. It's an end At an end. It's only temporary. Peter talks about, uh, about our trials. If for a season you're facing these trials, these temptations, these difficulties, it's for a season, it's for a little while. One of my little quotes, uh, um, it's a lovely little quote. You've heard it, and you probably heard it again once or twice. This dear brother, he was reading his Bible, and he came to something, he said, Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And his wife said, What's that? Oh, I'm reading something. Praise the Lord. She read a bit more, and he came to something. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And what do you, what are you reading? Oh, something. And he read some more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I said, What are you reading? Well, tell me, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Why are you doing that? Well, he says, Well, he says, I read in the, in the Bible here, and I read this phrase, and it came to pass. And then I read again, and it says, and it came to pass. And I read again, and it says, and it came to pass. And the praise the Lord, it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. Hallelujah. It doesn't come to stay, dear ones. It comes to pass, and it will pass, eventually. Meanwhile, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't faint. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Are eternal, forever and ever and ever. I don't know if we'll have conversations in heaven, uh, uh, about things, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say, we could might say, do you remember, we used to talk about afflictions? Yeah, yeah. I remember that sermon. Oh, wonderful. Um, you know, they were light, weren't they? In comparison with all that we have now forever and ever and ever. There's no end to the glory. Full and free, completely. Imagine what it must be like to be 100% pure and holy and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Imagine that. For some of us it's a long way off, but not day. In that day, that will be our portion forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We need to be encouraged. We need to be challenged. We need to look up. Because it doesn't come to stay, it comes to pass. Hallelujah. And whatever difficulty we're going through at this time, you know us, you know the homes to which we'll go back to tonight what will happen tomorrow and through the week and for some it might be a difficult week you know what's on the agenda perhaps we already have got it marked on the calendar for others it might come as a surprise or a shock Uh, but Lord nothing surprises you and nothing shocks you because you are in total control of our little lives and you will bring us on eventually, finally Eternally to glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now I felt there was only one hymn we could sing, um, and it's forever with the Lord, which we know very well, I think. Eight hundred and nine. Eight hundred and nine Forever with the Lord, amen, so let it be. Life from the dead is in that word, tis immortality. You in the body pent, absent from him I roam, yet nightly pitch my moving tent, a day's march nearer home. 809. Blessing of God Almighty, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with God's people here and everywhere. and yeah. yeah.